here we are. Welcome to Freightonomics. I'm Zach Strickland, head of freight market intelligence here with, as usual, chief economist, Anthony Smith. And today we're going to break down that freight economy, uh, but also shine a little light on the government activity that has been happening over the last couple of months. We've had a lot oh of boy. things like AB5, uh, which people are still kind of sorting out and trying to figure out what this means. It hasn't seemed to really have too much of a direct hit on the national freight market, but there, there's certainly some nuance there. And then, of course, the inflation bill. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. I'm not so sure there, there's that much to concern ourselves, and we're not really sure that it actually does anything about inflation in general, but we're going to break that down. And, of course, the theme of the day will be how much do we really want economic, like, government influence and personal responsibility. That's mm. kind of that traditional, it sounds a little political, but ignore the whole Democrat-Republican thing for this discussion. Uh, it is simply going to be about the economic uh, processes that come down to, on an individual basis and a government basis. And the interesting thing, of course, with any kind of government action or government intervention, the more they expand into something, the harder it is going to have to be to like have them retract from anything. If you see any type of subsidies, any type of programs, those are usually there for an intermediate to a permanent time. And it's very rare that you see some of those repealed or kind of pulled back in any way. Yeah. And, and so we're going to break that down here in a little bit. But first up, Anthony Smith, you're ignoring us or are you watching? No, no, no. So what I'm going to be doing, if I'm looking down, I'm going to be checking online because this is 12 Eastern Standard Time. 12.02 Eastern Standard <laughs> Time on this Thursday afternoon. And so if you want to jump into the conversation, you have any questions, want to add to anything that we're talking about, want to ask a question or make a point, jump in on LinkedIn right now. Of course, you can also watch and stream on tv.freightways.com, but we're streaming now live on LinkedIn. So want to join in on the conversation? Feel free to do so. I'll be monitoring that chat room. Yeah, but first up, let's break down the market in two. Uh, of course, this is the segment that uses some of our data to give you a quick high-level overview of what we're seeing in the freight market right now. So the TV crew has been kind enough to build me a timer, so I'm going to count them in here in just a second. But basically, two minutes, freight market analysis, what you need to know to continue your week. Let's start in three, two, and one. All right, the first chart that we have today is our NTI, which represents spot rate averages for the, for the nation with our outbound tender rejection index. And you can see that these two indexes move almost in perfect correlation. The OTRI leads the NTI by a little bit, uh, by a few days, which you would expect to happen. Now, if you look back historical context over the last year, obviously we are at a very low end of the spectrum. Uh, OTRI is now below 6%. Now, traditionally, we think of 6% to be, you know, 4 to 6% is market equilibrium. Uh, so that means that rates uh, will be moving downward <laughs> for a period of time because that's a deflationary environment when we have rates having inflated uh, for two years. We're now going to see them start to move back closer to costs uh, and below costs in certain environments. So as long as we're below 6%, that is actually a pretty loose environment for shippers. Uh, the spot rates, of course, moving the same direction. And over the last week, we're seeing this continuation of downward movement. If we move into the next chart here, our outbound tender volume index, 
So we just talked about capacity. Uh, so basically rates are uh, going lower and we're seeing softening conditionings, loosening conditions. And that is because demand is below that supply side. So OTVI uh, measures the over t- overall tenders in the United States right now. So more tenders equals higher demand, lower tenders equals lower demand. Right now we are actually softening off of that summer, uh, if you will, seasonal peak uh, in the middle. Actually, it was early June this year. So Demand indicators looking like they're moving down. Now, the last chart I want to bring up here is the contract rates because this is what is on everybody's mind. Contract rates, of course, throughout the pandemic, increasing as fast as they've ever done. And here, if you look at the very end of this chart, contract rates, for those of you that subscribe to The Daily Watch, you will have seen this, falling without a parachute underneath them. A quick retraction here. Zach, <laughs> you've done it once again. I mean... You've done it once again. I might have to take a swing at that. Yeah, I mean, an econ in two? An might, econ in two coming up a little, little bit, bit later. later. All right. I might have to do that. Let's do it. But first up, let's discuss some of these news stories of the day. I'm going to get you, I'm going to give you a little bit of time to get your economic head uh, together here for econ in two. But let's, let's talk about some of these stories. Now, one of the hot topics, uh, of course, very relevant to today's discussion, uh, AB5. Mm. And Joe Antoshak uh, basically did a research on what do carriers of all sizes, think about AB5. Do they think it's going to help them or, or hurt them? And this was an article uh, that was, it was out a few days ago. Right. Um, and, and it's on afreightways.com. And it's called, What Do Carriers Think of AB5? It's less clear than you might think. And it, I found it to be quite insightful uh, because we did survey pretty much everybody <laughs> from an owner-operator all the way up to a large fleet. Uh, and of course, the majority of the sentiment was, not good. <laughs> but it wasn't like an overwhelming majority. It was like a 60% thought that this was negative. Um, and then about, you know, there's a middling crew that was like undecided. And then there's actually a decent amount of people, 30 to 40% that were like, this is, uh, this is actually a positive thing. Wow. Uh, and I want to read a quote from this article. This is a good move by the government and it needs to be adopted across the nation. Too many companies are taking advantage of the owner operators and they need to get all the benefits that are due to them. Many owner-operators do not understand this law and think that it was intended to hurt them while it actually will help them in the long run. Many companies are intentionally offering high-mileage old trucks to drivers so that they can keep them off their company roster and avoid the taxes and benefits that they would otherwise have to provide. Now, yes (laughs) and no. Right. Uh, is the is is my response to that statement in there. Uh, This is kind of the age-old debate of how much government and personal responsibility do you want here? Companies can be bad actors. People can also be bad actors and not take, uh, like ignorance is never an excuse when you go out to get a speeding ticket. Right. (laughs) You can't just say, I didn't know. So this is the debate of AB5 in my mind. This is at the core of the debate. How much do you want, how much leeway do you want to give a company in presenting these uh, programs that may on the outset look like something that's beneficial to a unwitting, you know, employee or potential contractor. But they're, you know, on the back end, if you're not, if you don't have a degree in finance, sometimes you can't figure this stuff out. Right. So my big thing is, is, is taking a decision away from an owner operator potentially. So in my mind, if an owner operator wants to drive for a, a carrier, they can. There's not a lot stopping them. Right. But now you're taking away that potential option for them to be an owner-operator 
on their own intuition. They say, hey, this is what I want to do. I want to work on my own schedule. I want to work X amount of time, X amount of hours, X amount of loads. I have it worked out. This is what I want to do. Now, I understand that there may be some people that, hey, may have been gotten taken advantage of. That might be a percentage of some owner operators. But I, I definitely believe that if someone is an owner operator, because that's not easy to do. No. It's expensive. It's very difficult. You have to Your be, cousin. Yeah, my cousin. Yeah. There and you you're, it's not for rookies, essentially. Mm-hmm. So if you're an owner operator, I'm more than certain that if you want to drive for a company, you're very much capable of doing that. Yeah, I agree with all of that, of course. And I obviously am on the side of personal freedom. But I do, I do actually think that we need to put some boundaries around certain things mm-hmm. and certain actions, but not at the expense of freedom, right. in my mind. Uh, so... Yeah, uh, that is a great article. You should definitely check out. It breaks it down statistically, which, of course, we at Freedomnomics, and I'm sure you do. Uh, you do as well. You love. Uh, next thing, up, I have to call out the Wall Street Journal. I read the Wall Street Journal every single morning. <laughs> uh, and this one I had to call out because the logistics sector said freight demand, freight volumes falling. A little bit late to the party? I I mean, come on, guys. (laughs) Uh, This has been happening for six months now. Uh, You know, and they're citing the CAS index, which, of course, we love. But you have to understand what the CAS index is measuring. Um, uh, The shipments index, of course, has a lot of things going on in it, not just truckload volumes. It's a mix of intermodal and LTL. Uh, and LTL shipments don't necessarily, they count less than truckload shipments. So there's, there's some things in there you've got to be careful about. But we've been talking about this for six months. Come on, Wall Street Journal. Let's do it. <laughs> and I think this is going to be one of those things that I think that's some of the resistance areas that we have yeah. as freight waves is that we're using high frequency data that it doesn't have a data history of 20, yeah. 15, 20 years. Right. Because it's a newer data set. A lot of people are going to be slower to really kind of adapt it. But really, we've been able to call a lot of trends very accurately over the last three years. There may be some discomfort there, uh, you know. If you're not familiar with it, I understand as a data person, you want to you get in there and, and, and feel out what's going on with it because as we're going to talk about a little bit later, there's a lot of noise in our world today. Uh, the next story uh, by Mark Solomon, Walmart cancels billions of dollars in orders to right-size inventory levels. Mm. That's another one that we were calling out that was likely <laughs> going to happen, I think, in the early part of 2022. Around, Too much inventory. Yeah. That's the nature of, like, if you don't understand the relationship between inventory and freight volumes, you need to learn it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Because right now, all these big retailers that command a lot of transportation capacity and really set the tone uh, are canceling orders. (laughs) Yeah. And and, and that's going to be another area that we spoke about a little bit earlier on is that just because an order's in place doesn't mean that it's going to be honored. There could be a cancellation of orders. I think we had that way, way back in the day when we used to team up on shipper updates on yep. freight waves now. <laughs> uh, but this is one that doesn't come as too much of a surprise. We're also seeing other right. outlets. I think Kohl's had a quarterly call and, and I think they went over some instances of expecting a softer consumer demand and really trying to work around that with different yeah. types of deals, different types of ways to alleviate some of that inventory. So Walmart definitely not alone here. And I think was, as we continue to move throughout 2022, we'll see a lot of other companies taking suit as well. Yeah, Walmart executives said the company has cleared out most of its summer seasonal inventory ahead of the back-to-school season, which has begun in large parts of the South and the upcoming holiday period. Executives said the company is making progress right-sizing its inventories, but it will take at least a couple more quarters to wring the imbalance out of its network. So basically, you know, supply chains are still going to be cluttered. Uh, Walmart freight is still going to be laying around uh, yards and things like that for a while. So uh, the last one... 
J.B. Hunt defends intermodal growth. Uh, Todd Maiden writes this. Uh, basically, I, I wanted to call this out because I have a chart <laughs> that I think is kind of relevant to illustrate this. So J.B. Hunt essentially saying, uh, you know, and it's going to be the O-Rail versus OTBI chart here. And the uh, J.B. Hunt basically saying we're, you know, steadfast in our dedication to growing our intermodal exposure. Uh, and of course, people are criticizing that because they're saying, well, look at truckload capacity. It's starting to ease up. People are going to transition back once rates, you know, right size in comparison to intermodal. Right now, we're about a 12 to 15% differential cost savings uh, on intermodal versus uh, dry van truckload right now. So it's, you know, I guess they were getting some criticism here. But if you look at this chart, O-Rail, which includes international and domestic intermodal, up about 2% year over year. And 5% of that is on the, uh, the domestic intermodal side. So the question is, does this domestic intermodal situation actually continue to be a good investment? I would say sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and there's been, so do you see intermodal as a relief valve? Because I've heard some people see it as that and some people really don't. <sighs> you know, it, it just depends on the way you are. You can't just, most of these larger shippers, it's very biased towards larger shippers, larger uh, providers, uh, because you have to have the infrastructure for it. Right. <laughs> you know, you don't just transition into intermodal uh, operations. You know, you have to have a large volume of freight coming in from overseas. Traditionally, sometimes you, you need a transloading facility to make sure you can palletize it or load it onto these containers for rail. Uh, and it, it's not as straightforward as just saying, I'm going to use truck or, uh, intermo or rail in, in these situations. So, uh, but... I do think that there is, especially in a cost-conscious environment that we are moving into, mm -hmm. uh, this is actually not a terrible thing. And I think service being what it is, is actually almost beneficial right. because the sense of urgency for shippers has gone down. So I, I actually agree uh, with what J.B. Hunt is saying and saying that this is actually a, a strong move. Gotcha. Yeah. I like that take, I like that take. Mm -hmm. But that wrapped us up for... Newsonomics. Let's, Newsonomics. You know what I want to hear about, Anthony? What's that? I want to hear some econ. Give me those econ updates for the week that we need to know about because I've read a few of them and I know there's some noise there. Is this econ in two? Let's do whatever you want to call it. I'm just going, I'm swinging for the fences Swing here. For it. All, All right, right, let's count, count the boys in. <laughs> <laughs> I, might, I might go over. I'm, it might be an overtime here, no, but you can't do that. Three, two, one, and we're kicking it off. We're going with upstream and this is going to get kicked off with industrial production. So if we look at industrial production, this is going to be one of those areas that we really see a lot of interesting movements. We saw some increases here after the first decline last month in 2022. We saw an increase of 0.6% in July. So the report was a little bit interesting because a lot of the upward movement came from automotive products. So industrial production for automotive. And this was an area that we've spoken about before on this podcast around some of the interesting things going around in the automotive world. We're looking at automotive, we even had Dr. Zach Rogers on here talking to some of the work in progress that's happening there. You can have almost a full, complete vehicle that might be missing, say, a semiconductor or a seatbelt component before it can really be considered as a finished or final good. And so there's a lot of holdups, a lot of variables that could be holding some things up and they might start coming out in waves. So this is really one of the big areas within the industrial production report that showed that there was some growth and some increases. This is not going to be something that's going to be very consistent or counted on as we continue to move forward because it's going to be a little bit volatile. When we look within the industrial production report, there were some down movers that were some very key areas. So for example, we saw downward movement for 
home electronics have down 0.9% for the month. We also saw a downward movement for appliances and furniture down 2.6% for the month. So really, when we look at industrial production for this month, it was really carried by that automotive part. Real quick, moving into our next one, housing and construction. We saw housing construction down over 9%, and this is going to be a widespread decline for both multifamily and single-family units. We're looking at this area. And of course, this is something that we've seen already in the flow try as it continues to ease. And so really what we're seeing in that flow try is that there hasn't been any kind of significant upward movement uh, throughout August. And that's leading me to think that there's going to be some continued softening and easing as we move throughout the remainder of August for that upcoming report. This is going to be one to watch closely because there's a lot of downstream impacts and implications for this one as well. Oh, look at you. Landing that plane as smooth <laughs> as you can be. So, I mean, everything's kind of softening. Industrial production had some, you know, tailwinds, if you yeah. will, because of some lagging order uh, completion issues, especially in the automotive sector. Uh, great stuff. I mean, you can't really, it's hard to demand forecast in this environment. You really yeah. still, even though things are kind of easing up and settling out, we still don't know what's about to happen next because we still have all this congestion and backlog. Yeah, and there's, Zach, this is a, there's an interesting trend that doesn't get talked about a lot. And this is one I was a little bit hesitant to pull up um, early on. Uh, so I just kind of threw it into the show notes just before the show. I don't know if the Boiler Room boys can pull this one up, but I'm going to be talking about inventory levels. And so the ISM PMI um, inventory levels for the current area. And so this is going to be one of those areas that we talk to Zach Rogers about all the time, upstream versus downstream. The ISM PMI has uh, an interesting trend for customer inventories versus manufacturer's inventories. And so what we can see, like, so for example, in this chart we're about to pull up here, that there's a downward, there's a there's an inverse relationship here. And now if you might be wondering, when is that time frame? That time frame is going to be taken between 2000 and 2000, I'm sorry, 2008 and 2009. So we saw that there was an inverse trend as we saw because customers' inventories start to increase while we start to see a downward movement in manufacturer inventories. Interesting. Next chart here, we're going to have also an inverse relationship between the two that's happened in 2000 to 2001. Now, both of these instances were times of economic recession. We start to see an increase in customer inventory start to go up, climb a little bit higher, while we start to see some downward movement in manufacturer inventories. Now, if you ask, okay, what's the current situation with inventories? Right now, we still see some elevation for manufacturers' inventories, but we're starting to see currently that there's an increasing trend happening, even though it's still below 50, an increasing trend happening upstream, I'm sorry, downstream with customer inventories right now. And so that's going to be one that I'm going to be watching closely over these next upcoming quarter here to see if those customer inventories keep continuing to increase downstream as we start to see manufacturer inventories potentially come down. And yeah, inventory game, inventory management. We talked yeah. about it earlier in the year. That's going to be the theme of 2022. And it looks like probably some portion of 2023. Right. Well, yeah, I don't think this is going to slow down too much either. I mean, it's, it's in motion. And we already know that these big macro trends, when there's a huge pull forward, it's hard to stop. And on some of that stuff that's already been manufactured, been right. made, it has to go somewhere. And it gets really pricey if it's going to be held at the warehouse level or... It's also yeah. going to get pricey if you can't sell it for the value that you thought it was going to be worth. Yeah, you you erode economic value. Yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, yeah, we're definitely going to have to have another inventory uh, management show uh, at some point here in the near future, especially as we hit peak season, right. uh, traditional peak season, I should say. So let's transition into the discussion. So we've had all these government 
you know, policy things going on. AB5, I just, we mentioned and talked about earlier. But also we had the inflation bill. Mm -hmm. Now, I actually hadn't read this last week when we, when I heard you talk about it. And you basically said something and you said, well, actually it's, it's more like an environmental bill. Mm -hmm. And I looked into it and I could barely see anything that even addressed inflation at this point. So, um, I guess the questions that I want to pose to you. So we've got, in, it's basically environmental and uh, an insurance, <laughs> healthcare, yeah. right. that were the majority of this bill. Is there anything in this bill that actually you think directly or indirectly has some sort of influence on inflation? Potentially very, very minor and yeah. potentially years and years away from now. And one of the areas that I think that gets overlooked, of course, was maybe not overlooked, but the adding of so many IRS agents, um, what I thought was kind of an interesting thing. Um, because, now, I don't know if this is what I have a tinfoil hat on here. But one of the areas that we talked about, uh, potentially, I know when we had Dr. Zach Rogers and Dr. Uh, Dale Rogers on, one of the areas that they talked about that really could be a relief valve for inflationary pressures were from imports and uh, the taxes that were levied against China. Now, I think that's a great point. But also... That's essentially, if we look at the, the U.S. economy as um, a business, which it kind of is, um, and they're taxing uh, some imports, that could be a potential revenue stream for the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. So if they cut that off, that could be cutting off some revenue. So I think they could do that and they might do that. But also to even that out, what if they get a ton of IRS agents that can really start to audit a lot heavily a lot of American citizens that are the really where the bulk of the money is in some of the middle income earners because 86,000, 80,000 plus isn't for the top 0.001%. I think when we're looking at that, that could really start to boost incomes for the U.S. through audit processes throughout the U.S. And this is where I just lose my, <laughs> uh, you know, personally uh, start to get a little bit uh, wonky uh, with government influence. Now, uh, the theme of today, of course, is how much government is too much. Right. How much do we need? I mean, if, if we look at, uh, I wanted to bring up this chart to kind of illustrate what a, an unboundaried market can do and look like. So this is the diesel price chart. So ULSDR in green, wholesale price of diesel moves a little bit more closely with the market evaluation. The retail price of diesel in the white line certainly has a lot more smoothing and it's normally not as volatile as that green line is. So we've got two values there. And of course, the spread is down there in blue. But for this discussion, this is basically just illustrating that a free market where people are allowed to bid on goods and services openly mm -hmm. is extremely volatile. Yeah. And that is not a healthy situation. And that's why this diesel market is actually not a healthy thing to have. Because it's not just simply about bidding on what you need today. It's about bidding on what you need in the future. And so that is what creates this volatile, you know, it's very inefficient, if right. you will, uh, when you have speculation involved in it. And that's what a free market is. So do you think <laughs> that we are in a free market as a society here in the United States? No. Not, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's a, definitely one of the, the, the freest places in the world. So mm -hmm. I, there's nowhere other, other place or other country I'd rather live in. But right. when we're looking at some the government intervention, government stepping in, it's not going to be that open and free economy that a lot of people are going to be really wanting. And so when we're looking at things like the inflation bill. There's investments being put into this bill as well. And when I think of investments, I don't think that investments should sometimes 
be made by government entities. Mm-hmm. I started thinking of private investment because that means that there's a market demand for something like this. And so when I think of investments done by the government, I start to think of artificial potential inflation in certain areas that the government thinks that really needs to happen. And I, I understand that we definitely need to do something about climate control. That's definitely an issue that we need to address. So I, that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. But I also get a little bit suspicious when I see in investments being done by the government that hasn't been taken up by the private sector already. Yeah. And if you haven't been paying attention, the government isn't always the most trustworthy source. They are not experts in a lot of areas and they are mainly controlled by lobbyists, (laughs) Uh, lobbying interests. If you look at a lot of the things that are allowed through the tax situation, you just talked about it. One of the uh, biggest (laughs) hangups in the tax situation is the fact that we have lobbying interests controlling the fact whether or not we submit our own taxes. Right. Uh, the big companies like Intuit actually have a big lobbying control. So they use our money, HR Block, to, to lobby the government to say, hey, don't just tell them what they need to pay you. Let mm. them tell you because we can help with that. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and that is an actual fact. You can look this up. This is a public knowledge. Uh, and so this is the thing that I think personally we need to watch out for with the government. We can't just simply say, yes, the free market economy that I just showed you on the diesel prices needs boundaries. Yeah. But how much do you want the government to do? Because that also has flaws and problems. Very much <laughs> so. And I don't know if you all heard those sirens. I think they're coming for a sec. So yeah, we just called them out. <sighs> I canceled myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's happened, ladies and gentlemen. Without further ado, that brings us to the end of the show, essentially. But yeah. we're not done for the day, Zach. No. If you want, if you're around, we got a webinar that we're going to break down the economy and the freight market in a lot more detail here at about 2 p.m. Eastern time. Yeah. So if you haven't already registered for that one, you can, I think, still jump in. Marianne might be able to work a couple things out. Make sure you're in there. But this has been Freightonomics. Drink more water, but not too much water. Right? I want to hydrate. Hydrate. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We'll be back with more. Food.